Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. Awesome. Now this morning I want to end with a topic called blessed. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. And, um, and, and I can't believe it's two weeks to Christmas. Just let that sink in. I mean, it's just two weeks to Christmas. And, and, I, and I realized that this week, this Friday, we were bold enough to go to the mall at Century City. Seven hours later, I thought my, my feet need to get saved because they went and went to be with Jesus. And I had to get them re-saved, you know, because I was, I was over it. <laughs> Don't wear pluckies to the mall when you plan to go for long. Praise God, he was gracious, all the gifts was bought, and the family stuff was done. It was a good time. Um, but when I buy a gift, I buy a gift for the sole purpose to be a blessing to someone. I don't know about you. We don't just buy bless. I mean, I'm a gifts person. That's one of my love languages. And, and I was always amazed when my grandmother gave me sakduka, like like. Almost, almost said panties or handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs for, handkerchiefs for Christmas. You know, it's like, who uses these things? I've got two already. I mean, that's enough. <laughs> but I was a young boy. I mean, that's what boys does. And I never really knew that gifts for me is important. And, um, and I always want to give a gift because I want to bless someone. Now, when Christmas comes, the question always comes for men. Come on, all the men. The question comes, so what do you want for Christmas? Come on. Yeah. And then it's a, it's a tough question to all, answer because in my mind as a man, I always go through this answer thinking of, it breaks my brain because I, I go through thinking of how does the budget look like? Because if, really, if I really get what I really uh, will be blessed with, it will break the bank and not my brain. Am I the only one? Thank you. This is me and Kieran. Okay, me and Kieran. <laughs> now, we love Christmas as a family. We love the lights. We love the trees. We love the singing. We love everything. I don't care if it's the wrong date or the wrong this. You know, I get to celebrate Jesus with people that doesn't even have a relationship with Him. What a great moment, right time or not, to celebrate Him and to be a blessing to others. And that's why we love Christmas. I truly love him. But do we truly know the blessing that the true gift of Christmas carries? We know that the true gift of Christmas is Jesus. Jesus who was given to us when the, sin was, when the world was full of sin. While we were still sinners. Sinners, Romans 5, 7. While we were still sinners, God gave the greatest gift he could give so that we can live and be free forever that's the greatest gift isn't that a fantastic gift but do we truly know the blessing this gift carry you see if we write hashtag blessed on our social media on christmas or whenever do we know what this blessing or this greatest gift this blessing on this greatest gift really entitles and that's what i was thinking about this Friday when I was walking in the mall and I saw people shopping and going crazy and was, was busy and I really, do people really know the true gift? Now I read this story this week, it was quite interesting 
And it's a story from 1908 of Sir Ernest Shackleton and his company who toured and, 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 uh, and searched the Antarctic. They lived in Antarctic, but I'm just going to read it to you. and It's maybe going to make more sense. It says, in, an, in the Antarctic summer of 1908, Sir Ernest Shackleton and three companions attempted to travel to the South Pole from their winter station. They set off with four ponies to help them carry the load. Weeks later, their ponies died, their rations all exhausted, and they turned back towards their base, their goal not accomplished. Altogether, they tracked 127 days. On the return journey, as Shackleton recorded um, in his book, The Heart of the Antarctic, the time was, their time was spending talking about food. <laughs> Elaborated feasts, gourmet delights, sumptuous menus, and as they staggered along, suffering from severe hunger, not knowing whether they would survive, ever walking, every waking hour was occupied with thoughts of eating. I was reading this and I realized that, you know that Jesus also knew the huge challenge of food deprivation. He knew it. He fasted with, from food and water for 40 days. He knew. And guess what Jesus said? His first sermon that he preached, the, well, not the first sermon, the Beatitudes, he says, Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He didn't say hunger and thirst for a gourmet meal or for an event or for, for a nice gift. Or, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, we can understand these guys' obsession with food being where they were. They were so hungry. I mean, I don't know if you've ever fasted for a week. I fasted from, from all food, just water for a week. And seven days, and I had a ten days, and man, I, I just want to repent. I struggle to fast. <laughs> Maybe probably because I'm so thin, my body eats up everything very quickly. But after day two, three, I mean, you think about food. You, I mean, when you open Facebook, there's stuff about food. I mean, it's just all your passion and drive and thinking, everything is about food. So we can think these guys who tracked for two, three weeks without food, just boiling water to have water, how much their thoughts and passion went towards eating. But this only gives us a glimpse of the passion with what Jesus wants us to understand, the righteousness that he gave us as a gift. Just a glimpse. Jesus wants us to understand this thing called righteousness. Because if we understand righteousness as a gift, it will change our lives. So when we speak about righteousness, what comes to mind? Something good. Maybe something different for each and everyone. But the word has become such a religious cliche in, 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 our, in our world that it lost its actual meaning. Righteousness. I think we speak more about unrighteousness looking at our country than anything else. But see, even Christians are confused. They're confused about righteousness and what righteousness is and how to receive it. Try it. Have a conversation. Ask somebody, what do you think about righteousness? And it's interesting how, what, how many answers you get. 
Now, the result of this is that it has left our society without a clear understanding of what it takes to have a real relationship with Christ. Because people don't understand their righteousness. You see, and because of this, we see a moral collapse of governments. We see a struggling of worldly leaders. We see that. And that's why it's super important for us to get back to the basics of true righteousness. What it is. Now, if you look at the word righteousness, um, righteousness or righteous in the Bible, you see, you see it mentioned about 540 times in the Bible, the word righteousness. Now, if you look at the word faith, you only see it being used 380, 28 times in the Bible. And that's quite interesting. This means that there is one and a half times more scriptures about righteousness than about faith in the scriptures. See, righteousness is important. And God knew it, and he spoke about righteousness so many times that he knew that if you catch righteousness as a believer, that you've caught a gift that you will forever remember in your life. Now, how do we define righteousness? How do we define the word righteousness? Now, the, the, the normal layman de definition of the word righteousness is the following. It's just right standing with God. Right standing with God. So it actually says that righteousness is the conditioning of being in right relationship with the Father. When you are in right standing with the Father. You walk in, there's no judgment. There's no more con condemnation. You are in right standing with Him. That is true righteousness. See, righteousness is that conditioning of walking into a relationship with the Father knowing that He loves me, that He cares for me. You see, the only, this only happens through absolute faith and absolute dependence on Christ. Absolute faith. An absolute dependence on Christ. But the world and the religion tells us the following. If it comes to righteousness, you have to work for it. What did you do? Oh, look at that righteous man. Oh, what did he do? Isn't it true? Now look at what the word says. Romans 11 verse 6. It talks about grace and it says, And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. You see, the word says, Paul says, you can't mix the two. It's either grace or works. But if it is grace, then it can't come from works. Now that's a normal, straightforward scripture. See, there is no other way. There is nothing we can add to our faith to obtain right relationship with the Lord. Now I know this is a basic message. But it's something that when it comes to Christmas, and I want to show you the greatest gift when it comes to that, we cannot work to be righteous. We cannot. We cannot add to our faith. See, one of the things that blinds people to true understanding of righteousness is how we become right in the sight of God. There's a confusion about it. How do I become right in God's view? Do you sin no more? Do you do something? Do you read your Bible? Do you pray more? Do you come to church? Do you... Care for the widow and orphan. See, religion has taught us that our actions 
are, de- are the determining factor in God's view of us. But it is not true. It is not true. There is a connection between our actions and our right standing, but we need to understand correctly that our relationship with God produces actions. It is not religious actions that produces the relationship. It's a big difference. It's always the relationship first and then the actions. But the world says, uh-uh, it's first the actions. What you do will bring you to the relationship. Now in short, what does the word say? It says, we are not made righteous by what we do. And listen to this, Romans 5, verse 17 and 18. I love this. It says, death once held, and I read it from Passion Translation. It's so amazing. It says, death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah? Now listen to verse 18. It says, in other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life, um, leads us to a victorious life is now available to all of us. That's a mouthful, isn't it? How powerful is that? One act of Jesus, of a righteous Jesus, qualified you to be known and to be called children of of God. See, righteousness is a gift that comes from the Lord to those who accept Jesus or what Jesus has done for them. And you need to accept that by faith. It's not something you do, you accept it by faith. Now, the gift of salvation is incredible. The gift of salvation produces a changed heart. And when I wrote this down, I realized, man, I need to tell myself this more. It's not just something I what I do or I get when I pray, pray. No, no. Salvation produces a changed heart that in turn changes our actions. So when you step into salvation, it's because of a heart change. And because of your heart that changes, suddenly your actions change. But what do people try? They try to do things, change their actions. Man, I want to I read more. And, and some of it are actually... With, a, with quite a pure heart, but we misunderstand righteousness. I'm going to read all these Bible plans, and then, Lord, I'm going to solidify this, and I'm going to get all these disciplines in line, and when I do all these things, man, I'm going to get close to God. In one end, it is true, but before you do this, there needs to be a heart, cha- heart change. In my heart, I, re- I need to realize, Father, something is not clicking. And I need to change something. And suddenly when my heart change comes, man, I start putting actions in place. First relationship, then actions. Now when the nation of Israel, now let me prove this to you through the word. When the nation of Israel came to a place and said, they went to the prophets and they said, we need a king. We only, all the other nations in the world have kings, we want a king. And, and so Samuel went to God and God said, okay, give them a king. And so, Long story short, they anointed Saul as king of Israel. But after a while, Saul's heart moved away from God. We all know the story. Go and read 
the book of, of uh, um, one, 1 and 2 Samuel, and, and, and Saul's heart moved away. So God came back to Samuel and said, go and anoint a new king for Israel. Although Saul was still in place, he said, go and anoint a new king. Go to the house of Jesse and anoint one of his sons as king. I will tell you which one. So Samuel went to the house of Jesse and he stood before the oldest son of Jesse. And the word says, he says, surely, Samuel said this, he said, surely this has to be the new king. And listen to what God said in 1 Samuel 16. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that a powerful scripture? No matter how much you do in church as a Christian and how much religious stuff you want to throw around you, if your heart doesn't catch righteousness, then you miss the whole essence of what Jesus has done. So what does this scripture tell us? Our hearts need to understand righteousness. It needs to catch righteousness. Otherwise, we will struggle to worship. Worship what? Worship God. If you don't get, if you don't get righteousness or understand righteousness from the basis of what Jesus has done, you will struggle to worship Him in life. Why? Because John 4 says, I think I've got it up there, yes. It says, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. He didn't say God is intellectual and those who worship Him must worship Him intellectually. He says God is spirit. And in our spirit we need to catch righteousness and say, Lord, I need to get this. You see, there's so many people that make this mistake. Thinking that just doing the right things makes us right. If I can just do the right things, I will be right. But it's the same error that the Pharisees made. Let me prove it to you. Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28. It says the following. What sorrow await you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Whew. That's a tough, tough saying. Jesus did not, in Afrikaans, we said, He called out unrighteousness. Because he knew the power of righteousness and what he was about to release in our lives. You see, religion has always preached that if we clean up our actions, our hearts will become clean too. Nope. But Jesus taught just the opposite. You see, it's through a changed heart that our actions change. The heart is the issue, our heart. Our heart needs to change. You see, actions are only an indication of what is in our hearts. Actions are just the fruits of what the heart produces. Oh, we use, always use that, that same old little illustration. If you've got a toothpaste tube, if you want to know what's inside, you just need to apply some pressure. So when life comes and applies some pressure on you, what is inside of your heart 
will come out. And I say that to myself every day when stuff comes out and I react bad or I do this because of stress or I realize I need to change my heart. Because when life's pressures comes and claws down on me, whatever is in my heart are exposed. Our heart carries all the righteousness that we need if we give God a chance to fill it. You see, some believers often put the emphasis on actions instead of on the heart. And if you go and you want to see something religious, you see effort. You see doing more than being who God has called us to be. Changing our hearts in the process. You see, our hearts cannot be changed by effort. Our hearts cannot be changed by action. But it is changed by the gospel. It is changed by the good news of Jesus. See, it is, it is the gospel that contains the power of God, not political power or laws or anything in our lives that can change our hearts. The gospel changes our hearts. The good news of Jesus changes our hearts. And once our hearts are changed, guess what? Our actions are changed. It's always a heart issue first. If I want to go to my children and I see some actions that I didn't like, I can't force them to change their actions before I help them to think different and to change their hearts. Because then the actions will immediately change themselves. See, the gospel changes our hearts. And God's wonderful plan of salvation is that those who put their faith in Jesus, and, and this is incredible, those of us, listen to God's plan, those of us who puts our faith in Jesus and what He did for us, we get what He deserves. And that is a revelation and half. If we want to do actions to deserve something better, you'll always fall short. Because that's what the Word says, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short to the glory of God. And unfortunately, religion has cleverly instructed people to trust in their own goodness. But God says, if you follow Jesus and have faith in Him, you get what He deserves. And He deserves righteousness. That is God's plan from the start. You see, no works, no effort will make us come closer to God and we will fall shorter and shorter until we follow Him by faith so that we can get what He deserves. Because He already paid the penalty. He paid everything that we need to pay. Now, now let me give you an illustration of one when we want to do something out of good works and accomplish something out of the me. There's a story of a, a king called Belsasar, of the king of Babylon. And it's in, in the book of Daniel and Daniel 5. But his father, Nebuchadnezzar, you remember him? He had all the dreams and Daniel interpreted the dreams. But his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered the nation of Israel and bought all the wealth of Israel and the wealth of the temple, all the gold and, and all the stuff that they had in the temple. He brought it along with, with, with the inhabitants of Israel to Babylon. And that's where Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and, Abed, and all those guys became part of the Babylonian reign for so long. And during a huge feast, this king, Belshazzar, 
he had thousands of his lords and leaders and they had this feast and then he got drunk and because of this he took all the gold goblets and all the stuff the gold stuff of the temple and he had the people drinking out of it honoring himself and his conquests and he defied god openly tried to be righteous by his own standard and what did god do he reacted quickly a huge hand appeared in the big hall and he started writing on the wall and all the people were freaking out and the king didn't know what to do and his, the queen said well your father had a guy called Daniel that could interpret stuff so call him in and he got Daniel and Daniel interpreted the dream and oh, the, the vision that all everybody saw and part of it was this it's a, it's a longer vision part of it was this Daniel 5 27 he said you have been weighed on the balances and you have not measured up Daniel said you've been weighed and you don't measure up your righteousness doesn't measure up to God's righteousness you see any of us who are weighed against God's righteousness and God's standard will always come short always you see, God's righteousness is always more in quantity and quality than ours will ever be. Ever. And the prophet Isaiah said, our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. Isn't that incredible? Filthy rags. Let me just take a sip of water. You see, no one can compete or compare to the incredible righteousness of God. <coughs> and it is the righteousness, it is, um, sorry, and it's the righteousness that every one of us will be measured by. Me, you will be righteously judged by God the day when we die or when Jesus comes again. And we will be weighed and measured by God's righteousness. So my question is, how then can anyone be saved? Is it possible? Now the answer is no one can be saved unless we trust in our own righteousness. Unless we trust in God's righteousness, sorry. Almost got that one wrong. None of us can be saved if we trust in our own righteousness unless we trust in God's righteousness. We need Jesus so much. We can't do this without Him. We need a righteousness that exceeds anything that we could ever produce through our own effort. That's where we, we come back to our Christmas gift, Jesus. What a gift. You see, Jesus was in a relationship with God that no one else could have had. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. Jesus is our hope and pure, and, and we are, and, sorry, Jesus is holy and pure without sin. And then what did he do? He took all our sin on himself and he placed it on a cross. And then what did he do? He weighed in and he got measured. And listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote before this even happened. He said, Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down and, he, and, and we th 
um, through his, uh, sorry, and we, though his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. So look at the father's response because of what his sons did. His son. God said, those who put their faith in Jesus will receive the righteousness of Jesus instead of their own. And I love that. What a gift to be known to say that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And I want to encourage you all today, and, it, and it's not a long sermon, but I want to drop this with you in remembrance of God. If you go through Christmas today, if you're shopping for gifts or whatever you do, remember this. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. <coughs> Sorry. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Whenever I struggle, and I struggle with insecurities or discouragement in my life, I just say, Father, thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I cannot have my own righteousness because I will be measure, measured and I will not make it. But I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever He has done for me on the cross, it is the greatest gift that I would ever receive in my whole life that says that I am the righteousness of God because of Jesus. And because of Jesus and what He's done for me and the righteousness I stand in, man, I've got authority. I am more than a conqueror. I'm the head and not the tail. I mean, we can go on and on and on. And because we take Jesus and by faith step into that place of righteousness, all the promises in the Word are now laid up for me and for you. Isn't that a great gift? Isn't that something we can ponder on? That this Christmas, that when you receive that gift from someone, which is fantastic, I love giving gifts, but to open that gift and think this, thank you, Lord, that I am the righteousness of God because of Jesus. And that's why we celebrate the greatest gift the world has ever received, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that, that, that we can still believe and still know and still know that you are great and good and almighty and that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And the price that you've paid on the cross No one else can pay. No one else can give what you have given, Father. Father, we thank you this morning that, that as we walk into this Christmas, that we will remind ourselves that we are the righteousness because of what your Son paid for us. That our lives is, is, is in your hands, Father, because by faith we took that step and said, Father, I give you every right and everything in my life <clears throat> so that I can step into that place of righteousness with you.
So Lord, I pray that that we will enter this Christmas time not thinking about what we can do to get closer to you, what we can perform or, or do more effort for you to love us more. But Lord, that we will just go on our knees that Christmas morning, every morning of our lives, and just say thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for the price you've paid, for the righteousness you've given us. Because without you, we would have been lost. And Lord, today we can say that we are blessed because of you, Jesus. Because of your righteousness, because of the righteous act on the cross. You've given us so much. just do that this morning. Maybe you just want to close your eyes and, and just take a moment and just say, Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for what we have because of you. Maybe this year haven't been a good year for you. Hasn't been a good year in your relationship with the Father. And in this moment, why don't you just say, Father, I, I've walked away from you, but you've never walked away from me. <clears throat> Lord, I ask that you draw me back to you. Draw me close again. Lord, I pray for every heart here this morning. May our hearts direct our actions, and not our actions direct our hearts. May we not be like unrighteous kings of this world, but may we act in the righteousness of King Jesus. May our children see, may they see their inheritance. May they see their parents serve God wholeheartedly. And Lord, I pray for all of us here for this holiday season. Pray for your safety. I pray for your goodness of our lives. I, Lord, I pray for deep moments with you. And Lord, I pray above all else for a rest in you, Father. That we will come back rejuvenated excited for next year for what you are going to do in this church, in this town and in this country, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za